0: There we go. Hey, listeners, this is William Sterling, and you're listening to the Killer Mediums podcast, where we talk about all your favorite horror tropes and how they manifest across all your favorite mediums of entertainment. Today, we are focusing on multicultural horrors, and we're joined by guests Leopoldo Goop and Ronaldo Katwuru. As a warning, this is a somewhat spoilery podcast, so if you'd like to avoid spoilers for any of today's topics, especially Ronaldo's short story, Dinner Time, or Leopoldo's novel, Piñata, then turn back now, but with all of that said, here we go. Let's get spooky.
1: Foreigners tied bells to everybody in the morgue, so if they heard a ting, they knew somebody down there wasn't quite ready to go.
0: How are we doing today, guys? How are you, Ronaldo? <laughs>
1: I'm fine. I'm great. And you, sir, Mr. Leopoldo.
2: I am fantastic. I'm in a podcast with two very cool-looking people, and I couldn't be more excited to hear the stories of both of you. It's really cool because
1: this is the podcast that Janine Pipe was on, Alfred Ali was on. It's just, I'm just a huge fan of this podcast, so it's, it's really exciting for me to be here.
0: Yes, so let's dive into introductions here a little bit. Um, Ronaldo, you have been one of the biggest supporters of this podcast since the jump, and we've been talking about doing an episode for so long. Um, I'm so excited to finally like have you on and have a theme like that molded perfectly to you and like woo! But for anybody that doesn't know you, uh, we'll start with Ronaldo. Ronaldo, who are you? What is your little niche in the horror community?
1: So my name is Ronaldo Kipwaru, and I'm a horror writer from the Caribbean, Trinidad and Tobago, to be specific. Um, oftentimes, you'd have like I'd have stories that are Caribbean based or non-Caribbean based. I try to blend like mainstream and not so mainstream culture, like those horror aspects together. So I'd say that that's my niche. That um, so far, I don't think there's anybody that's been blending it like me. I don't need to brag, yeah. but. Um, <laughs> I'd like to introduce like a different cultural aspect to horror. So hopefully I'm doing a good job with that.
0: Yeah. And that's exactly what we're going for today. You were nominated for an award recently, weren't you? Yeah. Tell a little bit was... about that. Don't drop that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was nominated for the Youth Writer Award in my country from the Slit Fest. So that's the biggest literary um, agency within the Caribbean. So my two short stories, Sukunya Shaw, and making conversation which was published both by darkwood press will um they gave me that nomination
0: yeah so congratulations on the nomination i remember seeing andrew posting about that and being so excited for you thank
2: you <laughs> amazing
0: um and now turning to leopoldo uh could you introduce yourself for the for the listeners a little bit what do you what are you up to
2: i am leopoldo Gu, and i'm a writer but I also make art and movies and all sorts of things. And my first novel was a horror novel, uh, but I think that my niche is that I don't really have a niche. I, I just go with a flow of the ideas that, that haunt me. But I was born in Mexico City, which is a city that was built on top of another city uh, that was the you know Tenochtitlan, the, the, the Aztec capital. And from a very young age, I was very impressed by the by the fact that a city was built upon a city and, and you could still go down into the first city and see it. And I've always been fascinated by that power. And I think that from my first novel and also from my art, I've drawn from that power. So so it's the connection of though of those two cities that really uh inspired me to be an artist.
0: Yes. So I want to I want to hold on to that thought for a second and really dig in, dig in with you here for a moment. Like you mentioned, you're an artist in a lot of different ways. You're a writer, you're a producer, you're you're all these different things. Um, So something I wanted to kind of delve into with you is a big slant of this podcast is talking about how horror stories manifest in different mediums. So, for example, like what is the difference between a slasher novel and a slasher movie and a slasher TV show? How do they play? How do the same tropes play in those different mediums? So for you, since you've played in so many different kind of artistic fields, when you're thinking about a project or when you're thinking about a story you want to tell, what drives you to tell it through novel form versus film versus anything else?
2: Well, that's an interesting question, but I want to throw something even more expansive than just the genre because the I love the horror genre, but sometimes when my brain is in the, in the right spot, I can see a lot of different things like from the perspective of that genre. For, for example, there's a great documentary that was uh, called Three Identical Strangers that I really recommend you guys to see. It's a documentary of three identical twins that were separated from birth and randomly they meet together and they see each other and they become friends. And there's a very sinister reason why they were separated at birth. And when I saw the documentary, people saw it just as a documentary. I saw it as a beautiful horror story because it was very sinister and there was a doctor that, that was doing experiments. And so it just depends of what you consider horror. To me, it's a... Wonderful generous uh genre that allowed me on my first novel to put a lot of pain and a lot of things and a lot of uh ideas that I had in my stomach. And the difference between making a painting or a movie or a TV show, which I do is in my opinion, they're not that different. Some people think how can you do so many things? But I don't see the difference. I go into these rabbit holes that it's a short story like in the in the in the in the case of the brilliant writer that Ronaldo is, he goes into a short story. But sometimes when I'm reading Ronaldo's story, I think that it's a movie in my head, or I get transported into a different medium. It could be a play in my head. It could be a you know a theater uh, thing. It could be sometimes when you read uh, books, you imagine people in the real life doing that. I remember reading. Umberto Eco's Foucault's Pendulum in the subway while I was studying sculpture in London. And I started to see all the people and thought they were all full of conspiracies. So real life was mm-hmm. transporting me through the voice of that novel. So I don't see that there's that different. The journey ends up being a different medium, but but how I start and how I get obsessed by an idea or a feeling or a, or a memory, and then I jump on it and I call them my rabbit holes, And then I go into the rabbit hole without knowing if it's going to be a painting or a, or a, you know, even an exploration or just, or just becoming a fan of something. And then at the end of the rabbit hole, the end result, I go and go, oh, this is a novel. This is Pinata. There was, I don't, you know, at some points when I was in the rabbit hole of Pinata, I thought I was going through and doing a documentary of the conquest or I was going to do a, uh, movie or I was, and, and as I was writing it just the shape of the novel started to to come to place like a Tetris uh, yes. <laughs> and, then I, and, and then one day I said and I called my publishers and I said like I think this is a novel what do you think you know and but I'm I'm I'm, I'm, I'm like all artists I'm full of insecurities I I act very bold but Ronaldo I'm not I'm always <laughs> really freaking out internally so so I need like my friends and my publishers to tell me, uh, "Go for it, keep going." And obviously, I'll go for it without them. But but I but I always, you know, I'm needy for 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 the feedback and the ping pong of the validation while, while, while these things are making sense. So they're all journeys, and they're all coming from those layers of ideas. And uh, and then at the end of the day, you you come into this conclusion that it was a novel. Then the hard work starts. So it's a it's an amazing journey that I that I go into.
0: Uh, Ronaldo, anything to add?
2: Um,
1: surprisingly, um, I have a similar thought process when it comes to story writing. So, *Disingenuous Solace*, the collection, my debut collection that has dinner time within it, um, you'd see that there's a bunch of illustrations for almost every story in there. Um, my thought process whenever I'd go through like writer's block or imposter syndrome I'd find a way that I could visualize what I want to get down and it would be true art a lot of times so I would just like do a few sketches for like what I could visualize from the story and in my mentality I'm like if I can't visualize it I wouldn't bother writing it if that makes sense because yeah. I wanted to feel real I wanted to be like actual people like like you're creating something from scratch for like other people to have that immersed kind of feeling so um what leopoldo is saying i can definitely understand a lot of times i would like play over like the perspectives of each character i would undertake those characters so i'd have this this wacky kind of deranged main character i'd like to play on that persona and see how he or she may act in the real world and really have fun with that idea that You know, like literature itself doesn't have to be confined to the pages. It's it um, as a whole. It could be multiple different mediums, multiple different forms of art. You know, you could listen to um, lyrics from a song, and you you could visualize it to be something. Um, Movies, like a lot of tactics, would be for you to your writing to be similar to like a movie being played out. What can you visualize? What could you write down from seeing like the imagery, that scenery from movies? So. I could definitely see what Leopoldo was talking about that all different types of mediums, you know, they all fall under uh, art form at the end of the day. So I'd agree with that.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I've i got two friends, Henry and Tiffany, and I know Henry listened to this podcast. Hi, hi, Henry. Uh, but they were having a debate with me one time. They were reading a story at, at the same time or they were reading something at the same time. Um, And we realized as they were reading it, I think it was Henry always has kind of like a picture in his mind of what's happening. Like as he's reading a story, he's trying to imagine what all the characters look like. And he's seeing the scenes play out, whereas Tiffany reads the story and it's just the words on the page. Like she she processes the story. She processes what's happening. But it's just it's just the words. Uh, So that kind of sounds like it's feeding into this idea also from a creative process you're seeing. Uh, the the whole rounded image that you're trying to bring to life versus some people might be very like, I, I know I'm an outliner. So when I go through, I don't necessarily see the story to start with. It's okay. I need this, this action point to happen here. And then I need to get to this action point. And, like it's very like mathematical almost. Um, so I guess there's so many different ways to approach things, but that's cool that you both have this very visual, very holistic approach to the stories you want to tell. I love it. Um, Let's stick with this creative process conversation for just a minute, because Leopoldo, while I was doing my research for this episode, uh, I found an old interview with you. Let me read back the quote from you that I'm not going to attribute to the proper publication because I didn't write it down. Sorry to whoever asked you this interview question first. Uh, But they asked you effectively, what is your writing process like? Uh, And your answer back then was, I'm interested in art and a lot of my work starts with doodling and drawing. I've always had a very visual experience. I always begin by making drawings and notes while I research an idea. I'm very passionate about the research process. Every project I've done, whether it's a movie or a book, is about connecting stories, digesting stories like a detective. So my question for you now if that's still your process, uh, and your latest book is Pinata. What was the research process like for pinata? What were some of the things you tried to dig deep into? And what did you discover while you were trying to trying to frame this story?
2: Well, it's a wonderful question. And um when when I started, Pinata was in a very strange way connected to my first novel, which was Ghost Radio. Ghost Radio was. Uh, you know, back in the day, this is more than 10 years ago, there, uh, a, 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 an actor, you know, 15 years ago, an actor uh, did a wonderful audiobook. And Piña and Ghost Radio, my first novel, had a kind of a, a renaissance because that actor happened to be Pedro Pascal from <laughs> The Last of Us. And it's the only book, supernatural book, that he has ever done. And it's in a very similar tone. Than the Last of Us, um, not the same themes or stuff, but it it has the same kind of supernatural thriller tone. So, I was researching. There was like people because of Game of Thrones this is before Last of Us. Game of Thrones people were talking about him, and it reconnected me to Ghost Radio. And my research was to do with a lot of things that I that I went uh, and carve out of the of the. Um, of the conquest yeah, from the from Spain into Mexico, but the book piñata really happened in two trains. There's two actual trains that happened while I was developing the story. The, on the one hand, one train was that I discovered a painting that was really creepy and powerful and and scary because it was a representation of a bunch of indigenous Mexican kids being dragged by. The priests of the of the colonial times in Mexico. This was, you know, late uh, early sixteen the fifteen nineties around there to sixteen hundreds, and they were dragging these children who were terrified and forcing them to strike piñatas, the the Mexican kind of like kid thing that you put in every birthday. And you break it, and then candy comes down. So some a memory that I had of such joy as a child took me into a into a research wormhole of extreme madness and darkness. Because the to 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 change the religion in a very short period of time, the 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 the, the church and the missionaries and the evangelicals they were very aggressive in the ways that they would. Uh, shock and all the kids of the nahuatl religion and the ol- older religions of mexico in 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 shocking them to believe in their new god and and one of them was they would force them to break the piñatas and then eat the the food that was inside which was terrifying because the piñatas were draw- they were drawing of the gods of the nahuatl children so they were saying you see, if you break their gods, nothing happens, and you and you still can eat. And it was very violent, and also, you know, the uh, Christianity also is violent because you give the flesh of God and you drink the blood of of your of of, of Jesus Christ, and it's and it's another layer of violence. So to me it was terrifying, and at the same time, the second kind of like train was that my daughter was becoming a. A young adult and uh, a teenager from a, from being a child and in that transition in the middle of like a really aggressive place in the world that America is and, and a lot of places in the world I I feel that they the the there's a lot of states that are attacking women's rights and and trying to control them uh, feeling the rage that my daughter had was very moving so so those two trains happened during COVID and and i and i really jumped into writing about it and i and i think that uh that was the research that kind of ignited the fire for for piñata
0: i'm I, i'm reading through the book now and i can hear everything that you're talking about kind of like manifested through i, I don't know how to say her name Itzel? eizel isel isel and carmen and it, i also Fun anecdote. I picked up pinata and read kind of the prologue or the first chapter with everything you were talking about with that painting kind of included in the prologue there. And then I have this three-year-old son and we went to a uh, birthday party for somebody from his class and they had a pinata there. And I was just immediately like, this is not, this is bad timing. This is not good timing. (laughs) Uh, It was horrifying because they do, those little kids get into the pinatas nowadays and like swing those- once That's you are like trying to kill someone
2: yeah once you read the research that i did and then you read my book it 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 has a a sinister aspect like there's another thing that i'm excited to tell ronaldo as well because in mexico we the kids get blinded it's pretty mm-hmm. violent if you're a parent you have to like make sure that the <laughs> that the stick where they're hitting the piñata don't crack the head of a kid because i'm sure that happens yep well, many times so wow. they, I, I would stop it with my hands and, and you get battered by the rage of the little kids. And then they jump into this. And usually the bullies get the best candy. And um, so it's already pretty like right. uh, violent, but the worst part of it is that we sing a song that is very Mexican. I'm not going to sing this. I'm terrible. but <laughs> And like, I think the internet will collapse if I, if I sing, but the words of the song, Ronaldo, and you You'll, you'll feel this because I used to go to Trinidad and Tobago and, to Vago and the, the, there's this incredible clash of cultures and, and yes. religions and power in that culture. I love, I love, Car- first of all, I love all the island people. So I already like that you're putting us together, you know, but but there's a song, a Mexican song that is Dale, 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 no pierdas el tino porque si lo pierdes, pierdes el camino. And it's, it's, loosely translates that, hit it, hit it, hit it, don't lose the aim because if you lose it, you lose your way. But once you read it through the perspective of what I saw, I, I feel it's very sinister and it's mm-hmm. very dark and it's very, um. you know, it, it, it's almost like you, it's talking about destiny of like keep hitting it or you lose your destiny, your way, your power, your, your, your humanity. And it's and it's but you're destroying something to get underneath it. So there's a lot of strange relationship of of culture clash and religious clash and violence that religion brought to 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 the the new world and 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 uh, and they were replacing a, a very old god, very old gods, and that was powerful. And and now I can't hear that song. In fact, if, in my Instagram, which is just my name. Leopoldo, Leopoldo, at, 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 on Instagram is um, we did a, a, a little promo, and I hired a, a Mexican female musician to uh, Oriana Gidi, who's amazing. Uh, she's a she, uh, she's a powerful musician, and I, I I commissioned her to do an interpretation with me about that that song. It's on public domain, so she she did a really great creepy version of the. Or the way we sing to the Mexican piñatas. But I, I, I'm fascinated by, by, by that thing, that you can grab something beautiful and find that there's like sinister elements to it and find a darkness. Not because I'm dark, I'm a very positive person, but I find it very liberating and and cathartic to go into the dark corners of the heart. Because then from the, those dark dark corners, it's easier to see the light. You can't be in the... In the light all the time you have to be in the in darkness to see the light and vice versa and i think that the horror genre it's a it's a it's an extraordinary way to uh to be able to see those those
0: switches i want to come back to that final comment um a little bit later in the episode with with exploring the dark corners through horror and and uh kind of this uh holistic view of the genre here. Um, but if we've set the stage with Pinata a little bit, Rinaldo, uh, can we talk for just a minute about dinner time and kind of get listeners uh, in the know about what your story is about, kind of the premise for it and a little bit of the background about the research for it and how the culture shines through?
1: Sure. We can talk about Mannington Mildred now. <laughs> so... um. When doing dinner time, initially, I had set it um, during Halloween only. And when I had sent it out to beta readers, I'm being completely honest. So, like, my nerves going to get to me. But, like, I wouldn't be me if I wasn't honest. I sent it out to beta readers, and I believe I sent it to Janine Pike. And she had gotten, like, completely op- the complete opposite reaction that I had wanted. She was like... Um, where are you from to be writing about Halloween and stuff like that? It seems like very inexperienced for you to be talking about Halloween. And I was like, damn, <laughs> um, I don't want, I, I don't want that. I want it to be like immersive. You know, I wanted it to be relatable. I didn't want my inexperience, like never having the experience of Halloween being from Trinidad. We don't celebrate Halloween like you guys um, to hinder the story in itself. So I was thinking now, like, what do we have like culturally similar? And Diwali, that's like fast and Hindus, as like, uh, think about it like Christmas. That's the best way I can explain it. That's like our big holiday. It takes place every year on the darkest night of the year. So it's really to show like the thematic of good conquering evil every year. It's a reminder that you should have hope in the world. We light like low lamps called dias, right? So it's made out of clay and we light the streets, we light our houses everywhere to show that light conquers all. Like, you know, there's always light in the darkest spaces in the confines of our minds. And working on dinner time now, thinking about how I could merge it. Mildred being an immigrant, come to Serendipity Forest now, seeing Halloween, she has a diner. Um, all she knows about is Diwali. She fuses like Halloween candy with Diwali sweets, so like we have barfi, we have korma, and things like that. You guys have candy corn and, and all <laughs> the other stuff that, you know, from trick-or-treating. She makes cakes out of those things. She tries all these different types of infusions. I really tried my best to blend like both holidays from like both different cultures and make it seem like it was something unique. Like You know, I haven't read something like that, like blending off cultures, like that mainstream and that Caribbean culture. Um, interculturation instead of acculturation, so it's like one culture doesn't take away from the next. So like they both take from each other and share. That's how I think it it should be, because like um, I read the prologue and chapter one Mm -hmm. so far of Pinata, and it really did like affect me because we I did literature as well too in secondary school, and well as you were saying, being from the Caribbean, there's like this melting pot of different cultures. We are a very multicultural society. So, you know, the impact of the world, like different cultures. You could find all walks of life. There's people that speak Spanish, French, Portuguese, Hindi, Chinese, English, different types, you know, um, we speak Creole English. That's like the accent that you're hearing now and how I'm speaking. And um, well, you know, Frida Kahlo, amazing painter. Her work, you know, the impressions that she leave is what I got from reading Piñata actually. It was a brilliant way to talk about cultural erasure and reading it now, it was similar to my ancestors and their cultural um, erasure and what they had went through. So uh, it wasn't as dated as like the erasure that like Mexicans and like, the Aztecs had been through. As you said, it was like the 1500s going into the 1600s that period of time. Um, my great great grandmother was actually like from that time period. It was from the 1900s, so 1943 is like the time my grandmother was born. So it's it's fairly recent. But um, my great great grandmother they came in as indentured laborers. My great great grandparents. It was uh, answer to slavery. So after slavery was abolished, they needed like a different method for it to be somewhat legal. So they had that indentured laborers type aspect. They convinced people from India that, you know, the streets were lined with gold. Trinidad was El Dorado, the city of gold, that there's all these false promises that, you know, you come here, you make a living for yourself. You know, you, you really, you come here for a different life. Uh, my great-great-grandmother, she initially boarded one of the ships because she had a fallen out with her parents. She had this disagreement and she was with child at the time. She was so frustrated with her parents. She left the baby with them and she was like, I'm boarding this ship and I'm going to leave just like empty trucks. I'm going to leave and because like this treatment or whatever else had happened. I'm I'm not going to come back. And the ship started like taking off going to like this new place. And she begged and she pleaded. She was like, no, I don't want to go. I have a baby here in India, in Uttar Pradesh. I have a child here. My parents are here. I, I didn't mean these things. There was like, you know, the ship's already going. There's no turning back now. They came down here um, under contract. You work in the plantation, the sugar cane fields, these cocoa plantations, whatever plantations, you know, you have you in turn mm-hmm. that, and the Caribbean as a whole. They worked there and when their contracts expired, they had the option of staying in Trinidad and continuing to work. They would be offered like plots of land so that they could build little houses and settle in or they could go back to India. A lot of people went back. Uh, A lot of people stayed. And well, you know, from my end, my ancestors stayed. So here I am now. But it wasn't as much as sunshine and rainbows as like uh society, society as a whole, sorry, society would have you believe. Like textbooks and mainstream culture, they'll be like, you know, they colonized and they saved these people. They educated them, that they weren't educated, they weren't civilized, and stuff like that, which was which could be far from the truth. As people had an advanced civilization, agriculture wise, like they were intelligent with that. They had like these river courses running through agriculture. From what I read, I don't want to be like that person that is misinformed or anything like that so you could correct me if I'm going wrong and you have these different cultures that they had a religion they had their gods but that wasn't the god that wasn't you know that that god that that agenda that wanted to be pushed so there you had the erasure I feel as though like people get a bad rap so like this is just my unpopular opinion as well too um a lot of people would look at race and color they'll be like you're white and you're part of the oppressive group or like you're brown or you're black and you know you were lower than us because where your ancestors came from and I didn't want that to be like the case for dinner time I didn't want like my writing to be directly associated with race or anything like that I wanted to show that cultures could coexist without one being dominant over the other if that makes sense they could they could coexist Kind of harmoniously, so you could have that Indian aspect being there in a foreign place. You could have that that um, Eurocentric American culture there that Halloween and Diwali can coexist together.
2: Well, so I have a, right I I have a question about that that with them. Um, I hope you don't mind because it's it's very relevant to your book. And so so you say that did you experience Halloween in Trinidad and Tobago mixed with Diwali, did you experience that when you grew up? So we don't celebrate
1: Diwali traditionally. Um, There's haunted houses and stuff that pop up, but we don't have like that trick-or-treat aspect or anything like that. But Diwali, we have that full-fledged. In the Caribbean, it doesn't matter whether you're Christian or Muslim or Hindu. A lot of people come together. That's a public holiday, so everybody gets to there. A lot of people celebrate Diwali and there's like that unity. I have an aunt. Um, she lives in New York. So she had that experience of, well, being from Trinidad, celebrating Diwali, and then carrying her kids now in the States for trick-or-treating um, during Halloween time the, as well, too. The only
2: reason I'm asking is because that's one of my biggest peeves um, about a different uh, celebration in Mexico, that it's at the same time that Halloween, a little bit later, it's uh, the Day of the Dead. And, and it's a big peeve I have with uh, Mexicans uh, because I do think things can coexist and evolve in culture, R- Ronaldo, but I have a big problem because ever since that movie of James Bond, uh, where people turned the Day of the Dead into a carnival and they painted their face, now a lot of Mexicans are doing that. And that I understand that culture evolves and gets influenced by each other and there's a process. What what my peeve is and what I fight all the time on the internet is that now Mexicans, especially Latinos in America, claim that when they were young in Mexico that they used to paint their faces and do the carnival and it's not true. Day of the Dead, what I love about Day of the Dead coexisting with uh, Halloween is that they're very different. And I used to travel everywhere in Mexico for day of the other day, all my childhood. I'm talking about ten years, where every day of the day we would religiously go to different towns to experience it, because it's powerful. It's two days, so during two days, I would uh, November first, and second, I we would go to this church, to this uh, graveyards in the middle of lakes in Michoacan or in Puebla or in uh, in near Mexico City, and all over Morelos like in many places that I experienced in Oaxaca, the Day of the Dead. And the Day of the Dead is, is a different style than, than carnival. I love carnival and Trinidad is a genius experience. And I did a documentary, I worked on a documentary of carnival in Trinidad. So I understand the difference between carnival, which Diwali is a carnival as well, and the difference between that and... uh. The, the ritual, the somber ritual of Day of the Dead that is much more a procession about the spirits and it's quiet and it's reflective and you go to the graveyards and you put food of the of the people that you love and it's a totally different energy. And no one painted their faces with skulls and stuff. You ate skulls and you ate things and you decorated with skulls. That was very Mexican, but it it's amazing how since... Uh, the James Bond movie now all over Mexico, they they do the carnival that blend Halloween and Day of the Dead. And I don't have a problem with those experiments and people are having fun and everybody should do whatever they want and paint their face. I just have a peep with this amnesia of culture where people say, yeah, when I was young, I used to paint my face. And I've always said, you find me a photograph of you in the 80s or 90s painted in a carnival during Day of the Dead, please find me one because it's bullshit. They some kids were rich; they would dress like Halloween costumes, emulate in America, and they would do trick and treat. The people that went to the to the Day of the Dead would go to the graveyards, and it was quiet, and it was reflective, and it was to spend a little time with your dead ones. And it has nothing to do with 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 carnival, which is different. And it's 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 I I don't. Disagree with you that there's space for culture layering, but where I where I get mad is is cultural amnesia, and my book is about that. It's about forgetting. You know, I don't mind if people paint their faces and jump up and down like Halloween, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, clowns. I don't care that as long as they're having fun. I, I I don't mind, but I care when suddenly an entire population is changing their perspective of the of the of when they grew up in the 80s or 90s or early 2000 and suddenly everybody was doing that which is really just not true and I and I love to to you know I'm shocked by 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 what is happening today in Mexico and Latinos because now I understand why history is a whole load of lies and you have to go back into the into the sources and look at the codices and look at the Early paintings and the and the in the in the, the and as much as you can of the sculpture of the ancient world to to try to come up with your own conclusion because you know people history is a lie
1: yes yes no I'm so glad that you said that Leopoldo so um, cultural amnesia I love that term I understand wholeheartedly what you're saying because a lot of people they get whitewashed a lot of times so what's popular in mainstream media is what they'd pivot to more likely so even like something as similar uh, something as simple sorry as like a breakfast they would be like they'd normally would be like roti fast right you being in visiting the caribbean you should know like about roti and like some of our cuisine and stuff but like it transitions now to being like our normal pancakes and bacon and eggs and stuff because that's what they see on tv it's like the TV itself, like mainstream media, that's what's being fed to people in schools as well, too. like the curriculum, textbooks and stuff. I did sociology, so I don't mean to get into this too no, much. No, I'm sure you William
2: know. wants to talk more about horror and, and, and what he wants to talk about. So let's give him back the microphone. Yeah, I, yeah, that's true. Ronaldo, you and I are going to do <laughs> another, another call and we'll talk for hours and <laughs> William will be invited. but yeah. But we have to have a different conversation.
0: No, no, I love this. I actually want to lean harder into this. So let me I I was a world history teacher for high schoolers uh, uh, up until about a year ago. Um, So I can tell you all firsthand, like everything you're talking about with cultural erasure or just like very surface level knowledge about these other cultures for a ton of Americans. That's all they get. Um, for the Caribbean, there was a footnote one day that we were supposed to touch on uh, about the Haitian Revolution. And that that was it for the Caribbean. That's the only thing that we were supposed yeah, to. We can,
2: I don't think it's fair to for Ronaldo and I to go into the bad education in this country of other cultures. <laughs> I think it's a problem, but I think it's unfair because you're putting us on the spot. And as a Mexican middle class kind of left wing intellectual, we, we learn as much as culture. I went to Cuba when I was eight, like 13 years old. I, you know, I traveled a lot from lucky. I was lucky that I was able to expose myself to cultures. Not, we never had a lot of money. We just, I, I just had a very clever mom that with very little things, middle class, she 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 exponentiated. So for example, I went to Cuba it was sponsored by the Cuban government because I went to a communist camp and also I did all sorts of weird things. And I'm sure Ronaldo's life is full of that because you maximize your experience. I think that the the if you want to lean into it, my suggestion is to lean into like to me in terms of piñata is that the fact that um I just wanted to. Dive and inject a little bit of my fear, my personal failure as a father, because my two kids are American, so I have a very different experience than Ronaldo. I'm married with two kids. I'm older than you, Ronaldo. So don't despair. You have many other years to to do many things, and I'm sure, you know, I'm sure a a white actor will play you in a in a TV show. (laughs) But but the reality is that I was. I've been injecting this extreme fears that I have in this project of, oh my God, I'm in America, I love my wife. I came here and stayed here because of her and she wanted to stay in New York and I have two American kids and I love them. And they, yes, they're half Mexican Latino and I I have a little bit of Zapotec in me and I, I'm a big mixture of different bloods. But at the end of the day, they're Americans. They, they're they, most of the time I'm I'm on set making a movie or I'm writing a book and they're with their mom. So, they're growing much more American than Mexican. They're very sensitive, and they want to be me, like Mexican as well, and they want to try to speak English to—I mean Spanish—to me. But sometimes it's harder for them. So, a little bit of what I was trying to do in in pinata, and a little bit of what I feel that Ronaldo was touching based on his experience of of his uh, uh, interpretation of of Halloween is we are we are in. Um, I was just talking about my personal fears of, of 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 what I'm giving and what I'm losing for raising kids in the in the in this country. But then the other layer is my own country and my own and the only neglect of losing the memory of how the language he uh, uh, the language feels. And 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 by the way, that's something that I loved in Trinidad that it's uh, a little bit different because the the culture for from um, Ronaldo's background like the the, there is a a more immediate connection to the oceans of time that are are you from India Uh, are you from Indonesia or from India I'm not I'm I'm not entirely sure Ronaldo
1: my great-great-grandparents are from India from Uttar Uh, Pradesh which
2: part of India sorry Uttar Pradesh so that connection of their culture into you, into the fact that you still celebrate some of their uh, thousand-year-old uh, celebration—it's amazing. That that was really beautiful, preserved in in your in in where you in the roots of where you come from. Because you at the end of the day, you're Trinidadian, but but the, your ancestors—they're still talking to you and how you describe that. So I love that you're doing that echo from. You have a connection to a millionaire a, 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 a culture that has thousands of years and you collided with halloween that it's a 20th century um uh kind of a very new uh celebration that yes it has little bits and pieces of you know the the connection america has with their witches and their and the in the persecution, whatever, whatnot, not. But, but it's very superficial. Our processions like the Day of the Dead of Kuali for you or your celebration, they really have a connection to a thousand years or 5,000 in your case is 5,000 years of culture. And to me, that's really interesting because you you're, you're, you're co- the combination of your Hindu heritage with Halloween, it's really fascinating. And and it can produce great things, but also perverse things like the power of Day of the Dead against James Bond. And now suddenly has this Latinx amnesia. And I've, I've had, pe- I have fights on the internet with people that say, oh yeah, when I was young, I was I was like, no, show me a photo. <laughs> I still, I've never received one single photo and I don't trust it because people will go in the internet and fake them. So now I'm not going to trust it. But for 10 years, i I've been saying, show me one for, since, I don't know, since James Bond, I said, just show me one picture. One single picture in the internet. There is a movie where they painted their faces. There's been a couple of things, but nothing in the real of like, you know, maybe in LA in the, you know, in the eighties, some people in L but LA is crazy. And and that's, that's Chicano culture. And I'm very respectful of Chicano culture, but I'm not a Chicano. I'm talking about a Mexican and Mexicans that now are in here saying that they had this, you know, memories, memories. and it's scariest. it's scary because it's cultural memory. This disembobulation. I don't even know if that's a word but I, love, <laughs> I love to invent English words. That's one thing that I learned from Shakespeare and Ronaldo. Do it. I've invented words are in my book. Some words don't exist, and I convince my publishers to let let me alone. And, and some of my works will end up in the in in Webster's one day, and they're totally made up. So anyway, um, I I think that's part of the, like the clash of the cultures. But you, you you're you're touching on a very touchy feely thing for me because I love the old and the new, but I still want to point at the at the at the madness of this cultural amnesias. that is fascinating to me that is almost the proof that ghosts exist you know people saw a movie and now they really have memories and they they swear to me i swear that i painted my face and i'm like that's a ghost that inhabits your memory which was part of my first novel ghost radio
1: Wow. Well, though, that's a really interesting perspective and I respect your opinion. I would say that I was about to say that, you know, this discourse that we were having would usually get us cancelled on the internet if we were to tweet <laughs> something like that out. But having like a sophisticated conversation because William, you're, you are a history teacher as well too and you are talking about like for Caribbean like discourse on the syllabus, it would have been the Haitian revolution. So um what's an interesting perspective about that as well too is that the Caribbean as a whole is so vast and so diverse. like there's so many different countries with different cultures and different histories behind it. So yeah, like one crazy country crazy. is reflective Amazing. of Amazing. different countries.
2: Yeah. Right. But but Look, we can't get uh we can't get cancelled because in terms of for example in the Day of the Dead versus Halloween, I've said if you prove me that I'm wrong, I'm a scientific empir- I'm an empiricist. It's only somebody tells me well you travel all through Mexico here are 50 places in Mexico here are 50 photographs of me in the 1982 in Teposlan painted my face like the Katrina and here are the proof I'm the first one who said whoops I made a mistake I don't I'm not afraid of my mistakes but I'm interested in the in the madness of cultural uh, of the melting pot that we're leaving and the pros and the cons of that melting pot. So the point of 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 the discussion is not good or bad. I'm not qualifying bad. I'm just fascinated and and a little peeved in terms of the uh, amnesia. But it's not uh, it's not a dark anger. It's just like, am I getting crazy or or maybe I'm wrong and and the cultural, the cultural... ghost infected my mind and I'm the one who's wrong. So I'm very open. Like if mm-hmm. somebody proves me wrong, please. I just have never found that. And I love to go deeper and deeper and deeper into this story. So now that you you told me I'm my great great grandmother was Hindu and I did a Hindu Halloween collision. I'm going to go deep into you. Like I want I want to I want more of that. I want I totally want uh uh to see that and and go deeper and deeper into that. That is very original. That to me is really great sauce for your stories you know oh thank you well um you will
1: get a deeper insight into that because i'm working on my debut novella and that's going to be fully set within the caribbean and it'll be Are you published already
2: prototype. who's publishing you here i'm totally I'm, up with a publisher
1: i'm independently published
2: actually No, i'm so going to book you up with
1: a lot of great publishers
2: I already like you, so and I love to help my friends, and now you're a friend, so I want to make sure William sends you your work, and I will, uh, I will be your biggest uh, supporter.
1: In serio, soy un amiguito. Es una broma, no?
2: I can't promise they'll do it. I'm just saying, look, this guy's incredible, (laughs) so you should read. I promise you they'll read it. I can't promise they'll publish it, but I will definitely support you. Oh
1: well, thank you, thank you, sir. Thank you so much. I think we really did stray off um, from Tucker, <laughs> so. Back to the host. Sorry about that. Yeah, no, 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 no.
0: Hell, that is the most productive thing this podcast has ever turned out. So, like, I'm good. We're good. Um, If y'all would like to go, dive back into horror, though, um, Rinaldo, any more thoughts on kind of the multicultural aspect of things before before I pitch you a, a horror prompt to talk about?
1: Okay, sure, no problem at all. So multicultural horror for me is something really fascinating. One of my inspirations, well, aside from Stephen King, because I feel like everyone that's into horror, you know, they cite Stephen King as an influence. Nothing wrong with that, of course, but like I think it's, it's getting cliche at this point. So just be like, yes.
2: Stephen King is my biggest inspiration. And, no, you know, no, Stephen that's King. not true. He's just great. That's just he clean. is, he oh, is. He's great, he's great, that's it. Who cares? He really is great. He is. Okay. There's no cre. there's never clichés in greatness and he is great and he influenced me as well when you know pet cemetery you can't get better than that yeah mm-hmm. it's like it's as good as it gets so but but I think that we should um I think we mentioned a lot of multicultural I think we should talk about um uh give us some prompts you know
0: yeah uh so the the big one I I want to dive into here um Something that's really fascinating to me about the horror genre is that horror and just fear in general is this omnipresent thing that spans people of all generations, like all timelines, all cultures, all everything. Everybody's scared of something. Um, And another thing about that is whatever culture you're looking at, everybody has different monsters. Everybody has different ghosts built into their traditions and cultures. Um, And we kind of lose some of it when it tries to translate across cultures. So uh, the biggest example I can think of is the Ring movies in Japan getting American remakes and kind of losing some of their edge as they do it. And the the Grudge movies trying to get Americanized and losing some of their edge. So I wanted to pitch it to y'all. Are there any good ghost stories, any good monsters that you are aware of that the standard American audience might be blind to?
2: I'm sure there's hundreds every every grandmother in Mexico has a million uh, stories and we all experience weird things I personally experienced something unexplained and I'm a skeptic I'm not a a guy who said oh I believe in ghosts or I believe in this and that but I actually experienced something that I can't explain it's really creepy and it's really stressed it's really weird and I was with eight professional you know dudes making a movie and something extraordinary happened so Like, I feel like every culture has uh, a window on things that we don't even know. And we haven't even tapped it. I mean, there's even in America, like, why you want to go so fast? I have a very good friend, Koti Lutschik, who's a Native American from Northern California. He told me some amazing ghost stories from his culture in Malibu and in places that white people own and wealthy people own that. Are owned by his people for many many years, and uh, and they they still claim that they they're, they're it's their lands and they have incredible stories about that. There's a lot of great horror stories and and people have used maybe three in American culture and writing, but there's hundreds of. I'm sure that if you sit down with Eskimos, you know you put a fire, you tell Eskimos, tell me your ghost stories. And they'll tell you stories that you have never heard. I'm sure if you're Ronaldo, we go to his grandmother and and, and we sit down in a fire, we get her a little tipsy. uh, (laughs) uh, You know, she'll tell us a million stories of her
0: grandmother. That's that's what I'm trying to get into here. Let's get a little bit tipsy. Let's let's tell some ghost stories real quick.
2: (laughs) Ronaldo, you want to start? Is there one? I can tell one if you prefer, but if not, I, I would love to hear it. Well, I have a couple
1: from, um, well, Trinidadian folklore is very rich. It was like type of unique, but similar monsters. So we have something down here called the Sipunia. That's like um, closest in relation to a vampire, right? Okay. The law behind that is a Sipunia is typically an elder woman. What she does is on a full moon, she takes an old penny, goes down to the cemetery takes up a fresh grave, takes that old penny and scoops out a dead man's liver, secretes the juices and then goes to the devil, makes a deal to sell a soul and he gives her this special ability that she can shed her skin. So she peels off her skin in the night and she transforms into this ball of fire and she hurtles across the sky entering into other people's houses and she sucks blood from her victims and then she leaves. A lot of people they would say that they have come across human skin in the forest, so like any nearby bushes, because you know, in the Caribbean there's a lot of like forestry around like certain places. They say that if you see anything like that, the best thing to do is to throw salt within this the skin itself. So when she slips back on her skin, it burns, and you can hear a screeching, you would know who the sepunya is. So a lot of people, they capture women who they suspect to be sepunias, and they would kill them, they would light them on fire, stuff like that. Um, my grandmother was was telling me the story this one time about a sukunya that um, her parents suspected this lady was one. They found the separated skin in the forest. So they had gotten like peppers and they had gotten salt and they had thrown it into the skin. So when the lady had slipped it back on and they heard her scream and they know who it was, they got a barrel, they threw her in there and they nailed it down and that was um a while ago. So around that time the mortuary and the hospital, the creek, everything where people would be cremated was right there. They rolled the barrel down that hill and they set it on fire. So they burned her alive that night. Also there's um something called Alakahu. Similar stuff. It's a bunch of devil worship in law, but Alakahu is something similar as well, too. There's different like origins for it. A lot of people say it's like reading from a uh, forbidden text or having negotiations with the devil. But um, once you make a promise to the devil and he fulfills that wish, he gets control of your body, basically. And he forces you to morph into, like, these different creatures. So it will be, like, giant dogs or giant different types of wild animals bind to, like, these chains. So in the middle of the night, now you would hear chains dragging below someone's houses. People would warn you not to come outside if you hear these chains dragging because that's a lago who is passing below your house. Um, there's this guy living inside where I live, the village where I live. A lot of people say that he's a who and that um, one night he transformed into this giant dog that was roaming the streets. And his son was coming home, but he was drunk with a bunch of friends. And the dog, you know, started getting wild, barking and rushing at them. They, the group of friends, they started beating down on the dog. And he, he just laid there whimpering and crying. The guy had to stop his friends and he was like, Wait, that is my dad. That's my dad you guys are beating up on. And they said that they saw him transform back to a human being that night as well. So it's a lot of crazy stories like that. That's like you, you uh, mentioned Tisabolo. the
2: you, you mentioned the devil a lot. Is that that part of Christianity very prevalent in all of these myths? It is because
1: a lot of, like, it still remains to this day in the Caribbean that a lot of people are religious, so it's a bit difficult when they get into like aspects of horror. So, like, what I do, a lot of people misunderstand it within this country. So, it's, it's a bit difficult being a horror writer. But the trend is changing now, I would say that, but a lot of people would be like, oh, you're just demonic, or, like, you're writing these things because something's wrong with you. You know, you're you're fascinated with the devil, or you're doing this, but um, it's just that I see it as a type of art that needs to be represented needs to be no, documented. no 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 just
2: I was just curious more in terms of like not your not that you chose those stories it's just that the the presence of the devil is is very prevalent because for example the the ones that I wanted to talk about in the uh, in terms of um in response to William's question are very specific that are not the classic judeo-christian Story of the devil, uh, a, a person, a, a man does um, a bad thing or, or or goes into something possessed, and it's a it's a very Judeo Christian concept. And what I'm very fascinated in horror is that there's a different ratio to good and evil with the Nahuatl and the ancient um, Mexican. Uh, nations. And I've been for years in preparation of Piñata and in other of my books, I've been diving into just empirically looking without hearing the stories because there are very few uh, pure, like it's very hard to find somebody pure now that is not being influenced by, by Catholicism in some degree, even though there's still a big mixture of the two religions and some people have been trying to stay in their own uh, different uh, uh, belief systems. Uh, the, the reality is that we have a, a very plural, wonderful, diverse world in Mexico, but I was trying to look just at the actual images that the different nations left in the terms of the Aztecs. It's extraordinary, the horror that I found on them. The, 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 the story is on the art, William. It's not they're not telling you, oh, I mean, they they keep trying to say what they mean, and many uh scientists and archaeologists from the West and, and Mexico interpret the, the 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 Nahuatl religion or the Astor religion or the of the Mayans in the other side, but I don't believe that it's is that um that is that accurate i think that there's a lot of things that we're missing because when i see the art just the art in a completely direct way it's amazingly terrifying and for example one of the gods that i'm using in the in the in, in parts of piñata is the there's a, a god called uh, xipe and it's just a sculpture that i saw but i have a whole idea behind it separate from what the archaeologists say because i don't trust a lot of the information that museums have i'm not i don't say i don't read it i love it and i and i and i and i read the information but there's things that they claim that it represents that i i want to take it as an artist as a sculptor and just look at a piece and come up with my own stories and this sculpture is happens in a lot of places in mexico and it's really terrifying because the face of a of a baby, but in, behind the baby, there's a face of a crooked old man. And then there's other ones that are three or four layers in one sculpture. And then you see the carving and you see the layers or in clay, you see the layers almost as, as somebody, an old man peeled the the face of a child and put it on top of him or her. And it's terrifying. So, so I find horror stories that are super original in my own culture, through what I see in the sculptures or in the paintings or in the codices. And um, and it's fascinating for me as a, as a fiction scribbler to look at it empirically. And yes, I read the archaeology and I try to see the interpretations and I, that's one side of the brain. But on the other side of the brain, I just want the sculptures to speak to me and tell me things that I'm seeing because that's why they did it. To pass information that is unadulterated from uh, Judeo-Christian, you know, Western world and mind. For example, in the north of Mexico, uh, I did a, a Netflix show that is coming later this year called *El Elegido*, the the chosen one, Amer- based on American Jesus, and it's a TV show where I I co-wrote and my brother directed uh, for Netflix, and and um and we worked with an indigenous. Uh, family in the north of Mexico uh, that is also in America. It's called the Yaqui, but there's many Yaquis. So this is one. There's different nations of Yakis. This is one very specific nation, and they gave us the elders gave us permission to work with them, and we we had a lot of discussions uh, with them. And two of them became actors in our in our show, and they and they gave us their own ideas, and and I learned so much from them. For example, there's no word in their community for, for just for a word for love or, or, or hate, or they, they words are accompanied by other motifs. So love is too big. It's too judo Christian. It's too binary for them. Love has to be accompanied by love of the sister, love of the brother, love of your lover. The word love itself doesn't mean anything. They don't, they don't see it. And it's fascinating to me how, um, you know, how you can draw uh scary horrific stories from those things so i always advise uh people like william who's excited about horror and and multiculturalism and originality is to go to indonesia or india and go to see this scary you know vishnu and shivas and come up with your with your tales by seeing it by seeing the the imagination of of death and destruction in your case, or some of the Aztec or Mayan or other culture sculptures in Mexico and in South America. And and, and you can come up with a million horror stories. And I love doing that in museums. You just go in, or you can go online to the Museum of the Metropolitan or the Museo de Antropología in Mexico and just look at those art and just come up with, just imagine, just put the mind side and travel and, and ask, the sculpture. Who are you? Why are you so angry? And and if you spend enough time with that sculpture, it's going to start talking to you. And it's terrifying sometimes. Renoda. Yeah. Um. I definitely agree with that.
1: Um. I can see where you're coming from with that aspect of letting the art itself speak to you. Um. These kind of folkloric stories that we have in that though. There aren't really that much like depictions of it until like recent times, so it's just like to go on what was being told orally. So oral storytelling is a huge part of Caribbean culture as well too, um, passed on from like generation to generation. Those stories will be told. You have stories about like former African slaves, like you know, we say Obia, but you guys like for Limanster will be Voodoo. They would find a way back to like where they came from their home country and for us like that misconception now is starts you know that people will be like oh um voodoo is something bad portrayed in mainstream media it goes back to like what Leopoldo was talking about with like the james bond aspect of the day of the dead right is always this misconception but a lot of people would say that voodoo or obia how we say it it has people that use it for good and it has people that use it for bad like how Traditionally, like people would be like with prayers, they could pray for something good, or they could pray for like something bad to happen to their enemies, or something like that. That's where that misconception comes in. And I understand what you're saying about the art line. Speak for yourself. I could definitely see that. A, a lot counterpoint though is that like that instance of taken in that understanding what you get from it that could create misconceptions as well too because you have that happening with like certain sculptures certain aspects and a lot of people demonize Hindu culture because of that they would see a statue a depiction of say um, Kali and they would say that she is like demonic or she is whatever based on what they perceive or what they see So it's like a weird balance between the two, in that you have to have like that background knowledge before you could be able to make a judgment of your own, because people are sheep these days as well too. Like you tell them one thing, and it's just like this follow fashion type mentality that they want to follow in hoods. It's great that we could have this discussion and we could have our own opinions about these aspects. So I definitely agree with a lot of what you're saying. Um, but I could also see like counterpoints that it could have misconceptions or people left to their own judgment about certain things, without background.
2: No, I agree. And, and that's the conundrum. But as an artist, as a sculptor, and somebody that have read a lot about Aztec art and met Nahuatl, real nahuatls and talked to them directly and you know, I used a Nahuatl advisor in my book, who's an indigenous man who speaks fluently and is and one of the leading um, Nahuatl scholars. You know, I, I I try to do both, but um, there is no, uh, the only part I disagree, Ronaldo, is there is no, there is no part of the, there is no way to avoid the idea that 500, 700 years ago or a 1,000 years ago when a Mexican sculptor was doing those religious sculptures and powerful things that are my favorite art. Like the Quatlique, this huge sculpture in Mexico, is one of my favorite sculptures of all time. To me, it's more beautiful and more powerful than than the David in, in, in Italy and in any of the Western sculptures. It's one of my favorite uh, pieces of art ever. I believe that that it speaks directly with no like you don't need to, you know, there's no danger in that. It's it is a thing in itself, it is what it is. It is the real thing. As a I studied sculpture, I made sculptures and art all my life. And I want in thousands of years that after I died for people to see my art, and I want them to see what it is and interpret what it is and what their interpretation is, it will be the truth. And that is not different from a cave painter. I believe cave painter said the same thing. I don't believe that art is completely a progression. I think it's an energy, and it's a field of of uh, of dust. And I feel like it's a it's a range. It's like a frequency, and 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 cave art is as relevant and as modern as contemporary modern art or literature because it was their movies. I mean, it was all dark, so they they got to paint. With fire, so everything was moving. So all those drawings are like story. It's storytelling. Some of them were beautiful, but I've seen some cave paintings that are horrific. There's people with arrows. You don't. You don't know if it's war or maybe the arrows are coming out and it's connecting with the with a sky. There's two different interpretations. These were done 30,000 years ago. No one can tell you what it was. So you, as an artist, have to complete that 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 world. And so that I, I firmly believe that it's very valid for people to interpret, even if they even they're wrong, because that's what the power of art is that it it, it relies on your on your context and on your subjectivity, and on your and on your reaction to it. Because you know people that read, um, you know, great storytellers that were very progressive and poets didn't understand them at the time they were writing. And years later, they start to get on the, 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 the now they're very appreciated and vice versa. So so that the only place that I don't fully agree with you, but I, you know, I, I respect your opinion for sure, but I don't fully agree that, that in the terms that the of this that you have to be informed to appreciate art, because I really believe that. I hope that somebody in 10 years read your story and they don't. They know nothing about you, nothing about your great grandmother, and they and through the power of your short story, they find that you are a collision of of so many cultures, and they see it through the through the magic of your words and your choices and your images and the drawings you made and all of the things that made your story so great. So so don't be don't be don't take away any of that power because that's the fire that that will keep us going because. Cultures, you know, change like the way we interpret Shakespeare. Super different than what, you know, people were in the theater screaming and, you know, we we've we we've changed it. But the energy, the essence of it, is probably the same, same as the, you know, the cave painters said, you know, they, they they wanted to tame nature and try to not be so afraid of the dark, you know.
0: I, yeah, we're I still wanna... the same. I want to jump in here because that was like exactly the point I was hoping we could come to at some point in this episode and also we are way over time so I've got to stop I've got to start landing this plane. Um, but just that I and I
2: can go for hours I can <laughs> Ronaldo to have to have you published in America and have a dinner with you here so that Ronaldo and I can get like 5 hour conversation
1: i yes. think that would be really great yeah we should definitely live stream it. do something on youtube if I that. That.
2: the dinner is on me i'll invite you
0: go <laughs> so land the plane william land the plane land the plane all right um final final kind of words from you leopoldo and Ronaldo. um starting with you Ronaldo um if everybody listening to this enjoyed listening to you want to go pick up some of your works uh what are some works that you have available what would you recommend people start with
1: first of all i would say thank you if you even consider buying my work from this discourse that i've been having with these two dapper gentlemen because my phone's on two percent and (laughs) it was a lot of bickering a lot of agreeing to disagree which was great i love when I can have a discussion with somebody that has a different standpoint than I do. I find it to be refreshing. But um, definitely, so far, I only have one project out. And that's my debut collection of our short stories, Disingenuous Solace Volume 1,
2: which contains seven short stories, dinner time included.
0: All right. And Leopoldo, your turn.
2: I'm sure you want to put the links, no?
0: Yes, of course.
2: Excellent. So I love your audience. I love anybody that loves horror. I think they should all go and support Ronaldo. That's the most important. I think he should be published to all, any publisher out there. You should get, publish this man. He's brilliant. And um, in terms of myself, I think that um, obviously Piñata is out. It's a beautiful book. I put my heart and soul to it. It's available on, on most platforms, including audiobook. There's also my other book, Monarca, that came a, f- a couple of months ago, but it's for, you know, kind of like the opposite of this. And then there's, uh, you know, I have a few wonderful TV shows and uh, coming out and a movie coming out this year. But um, you can follow me on Instagram at Leopoldo Leopoldo or my website uh, and all of those links. William will have it. But, you know, yes. what I do is sincerely, I, I love the opportunity to tell stories in every medium that I can uh that falls into my lap because most of the the things that I put out from a painting to a book have been results of things that are happening in my life or memories or I've never planned it. I'm not a planner. I'm a I react to the to the crazy life that I that I have around me. And uh and and so all of these things are a little windows to that madness and that wild adventures so thank you so much for listening to us thank you william thank you ronaldo i can't wait to do this again
0: hey thank you guys so much it was an absolute pleasure to have the pair of you on uh for everybody listening at home please don't forget to like subscribe or whatever it is you people do nowadays and we will catch you next time this has been killer medium stay spooky